So if you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter uh, chapter 4, if you will, think over the last eight years among the massive lessons that God has been teaching us, perhaps the most profound truth is what we have been learning regarding the role of prayer, the, the role that prayer plays in missions. One of the most really awesome aspects of gospel ministry is that you here can participate with us directly in the work of ministry on the other side of the world, about 6,450 miles away. And I know that because on the plane, it gives you the countdown of how many miles you're going, how many hours you have left. And after about three hours, you're going, are we there yet? And you look up at the screen and it says 10 hours, you got 4,000 miles to go, something like that. It's far. It's a long ways away. But you can participate with us through prayer. You know, a lot of times people ask us, what is something that we can do uh, for you in, in your ministry? And if we give the answer, well, you can pray for us, oftentimes the response is, well, I know that, I know that. But, I mean, what can we do? What can we really do? Uh, is there any financial needs that you have? Is there any, uh, you know, can we come and somehow do something in a practical way? Um, what can we actually do? And I think sometimes we subtly think that prayer is a good thing, good thing for missions when, you know, really everything else is taken care of. And then we begin to pray. But what we are learning through the Word and through our own experience on the field is that prayer is mission. Now, when I was young, about some of your age, uh, maybe high school age, um, I really, really loved football. And back in the 90s, when I was, when I was uh, that age, there was these goofy T-shirts going around. They were really popular. And I think they're coming back, actually. And it said, something is life. The rest is just details. And there was, you know, the one that said, football is life. The rest is just details. Maybe some of you, you know, bought the ones that said, computers are life. The rest is just details. Or, you know, whatever else you liked, you know, at the time. And I... You know, I think if I were making this challenge, this sermon, into a t-shirt this morning, reflecting something like that, it would say something like, prayer is missions, the rest is just details. This is the ground zero, really, for our work. And I think over the years, you know, it's, it's easy for, you know, I think pridefully, there can be a little bit of sheepishness as the ones being sent to come back and say, this is how you can pray, because I know that every church has challenges, every individual has challenges, and, and I think out of pride, it's sometimes we hesitate to say, here is how you can pray, uh, because we don't want our challenges to seem special or to seem unique, uh, but I think over the, the last few years, I've been instructed and I've started to consider Paul's bold requests for prayer from the churches that he had planted. Now here's Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was called out in person by Jesus Christ to be a missionary among unreached Gentiles. He was taught in person the doctrines, the deep doctrines of Christ by Jesus himself, author of much of the New Testament, performed countless miracles greatest gospel missionary to ever walk the face of the earth, if anyone would be self-reliant and not asking for prayer, it would be Paul. But we see something very different. Paul is very 
boldly asks new and many times struggling churches, struggling believers to pray for him in the gospel ministry. Let me share some of those with you. In Romans 15.30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. 2 Corinthians 1.11 says, You also must help us by prayer. Philippians 1.19, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I love the directness of 1 Thessalonians 5.25. He just says, Brothers, pray for us. 2 Corinthians 3.1, another one of my favorites, it says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be glorified. Ephesians 6, 19-20, which is actually similar to the one that we're going to look at this morning, says, Pray for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So do you sense in these passages, in these, in these words of Paul, there's an urgency here that Paul felt. There was a re- reliance that he had in the gospel ministry for the churches to be coming alongside of him and propelling him forward and propelling the work of the gospel forward through prayer. And if this is Paul's view toward prayer, how much more should our view as the ones being sent and your view as the ones who are sending, how much more should we be uh, hard at work in the matter of prayer for the gospel to go out to the unreached? Now this morning, I, I want to look specifically at Paul's request for prayer that he makes in, uh, to the Colossian church in four, uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. And let me just read this uh, just from the beginning. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So really this, this morning I kind of have you know, two purposes in, in the sermon. One is I want to help us better understand, I want you to better understand how you can pray for us. And in doing so, it will serve as a way in which we can kind of report on what God has done while anticipating what God is going to do in the future through your prayers. So as we, as we begin here, let me, let me just give a little bit of brief background of our text with some, uh, just kind of the, the context a little bit. Unlike most of the other letters that Paul wrote, uh, Paul had never actually visited uh, Colossians, the city, and uh, in the, in the people that he was addressing there. He wasn't directly involved with the planning of the church. Apparently what happened is while he was laboring in Ephesus, a young man from Colossae, named Epaphras, heard the gospel, believed. Paul discipled him for a period of time, probably. Paul or some of his teammates, maybe. And then he went back to Colossae, and he planted a church there. Now, this is something I really love about the epistles, is they kind of have this aroma of missions. It's kind of this front-line, you know, un- unreached, unengaged peoples. That's the context in which... These, uh, this book has been written. So we don't plant churches the way that happened anymore. We're, we're planned out, and we're structured, and we, you know, we have our plan, we have our team, we have the financing, and then we go forward. 
This guy just went back home and started sharing the gospel, and there's a church. It's really awesome to see God do that. Now, this church was facing, after some time, some false teaching, and, and, and Paul, it was kind of eroding their reliance upon Christ, and instead, the false teachers were calling them to rely upon you know, many other things, including many man-made traditions. So Paul is writing, and he's saying to them, he's reminding them of two things. First of all, he's reminding them of who Christ is. And he says things like, he is the image of the invisible God. He says, by Christ, all things were created, visible and invisible. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Christ is the head of the body, the church. Through him, God is reconciling all things to himself through the blood of Christ, of the cross. This is who Christ is. And then he reminds them, okay, this is also who you are. Once you were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Therefore, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So because of Christ, because of who Christ is, and now because of who you are in Christ, everything changes. And he goes through as you read Colossians. He talks about marriage relationships. He talks about employee-employer relationships, children-parent relationships. Everything changes because of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. It also changes our perspective of the nations. Instead of thinking about only our things, we began to think about the nations who have yet to receive Christ. And so Paul calls them, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. Now, I don't think it comes as any surprise to any of you, prayer simply takes work. It requires watchfulness. And I think this has the idea of strategies. I can't really pray without a notebook in my hand and paper. If I really want to pray, I've got to have a strategy to help my mind be watchful. Otherwise, I'm thinking about the news. I'm thinking about what's happening next. All kinds of things. I even sometimes have to have a timer in which I time, okay, I'm going to pray for 20 minutes and not think about anything else. Right? We have to have strategies because our minds are so weak, so we have to be watchful. It's not a passive process, and it's rooted in thanksgiving. Once we were alienated, once we were away from Christ, but now we have been brought near. We have been made children of the promise, and he has rescued us in Christ. And this idea that we find all throughout Colossians then should give birth into prayer of thankfulness. So it's with this mind that we are to come to prayer. So Paul, how does Paul specifically ask for prayer? He asks him in this passage for two things. First of all, he asks for opportunities to declare the gospel. And second of all, he asks for uh, clarity in proclaiming the gospel. So he's asking for our opportunities. And I kind of want to think about that as kind of external opportunities. And when he talks about clarity, I, I kind of want to think about this as internal ability. So external opportunities and kind of internal ability. So let me just uh, kind of walk through this with you a little bit and, and use this as, as a, a way in which I can f- inform you how you can pray for us. So Paul appeals to them to pray for opportunities to declare the gospel. As you pray with steadfastness and thanksgiving, Paul says, pray for us, that God may open to, 
a door for us, for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Now, Paul, he just said it. He's writing this from prison. Uh, Some people think he is just simply asking them to pray that he would be released from prison. But Paul, in other places, 2 Corinthians 16 being one of them, Paul uses this phrase of an open door to basically mean give opportunity for the gospel to go forward. And I think that's what he's doing here. He's, he knows that in order for the gospel to go to the unreached, to the places that have not yet heard this testimony of the mystery of Christ, Paul knows that God first has to move in grace to create the opportunities for the announcement of the mystery of, of Christ to be made. So here we are 2,000 years later, after Paul has written this approximately, and there are still thousands Thousands of people, millions of people who have yet to receive this announcement of the mystery of Christ. There are nearly 4 billion people just within the 1040 window who have yet to hear of the mystery of Christ. Paul realized that just because you move into an area where there are unreached people, this does not mean that there is going to be an opportunity to actually declare the gospel. There are all kinds of barriers to finding people among the box and the you that we face, the Hui and the Uyghur people. There's all kinds of barriers that we face. Just because we live there, just because we are doing life there and we are trying, does not mean that we are going to have open doors unless God moves through your prayers. In 1916, there was a, a missionary with the China Inland Mission. His name was George K. Harrison. He was called by God to work among the Muslims of China, the same people groups that we are working with 100 years later. Reflecting on his ministry, his biographer says this about working with Muslims in China. He says, there's no harder task in the mission field today as yesterday than the evangel- evangelization of Muslims. Thank God there have always been some outstanding converts, but the Muslim is preconditioned against the gospel even before he hears it. For he has been taught in his sacred book, which he believes to have been been written from eternity in Arabic in heaven, that the prophet Jesus was exalted by his misguided followers to a supposed equality with God, which itself is the blackest, the darkest of sins. They misunderstand the idea of the Trinity, perpetuating the idea that it consists of God, the Father, Mary, and then the child that they had together. So it's not surprising that they denounce it as blasphemy. Nor does the Muslim understand the necessity for an atonement. For to him, God, God is the absolute sovereign. If God will punish, who can murmur at his will? And if he will forgive, what basis or condition is needed other than his omnipotent and inscrutable decree? It is difficult and disheartening to preach the Christian message to those whose minds are preconditioned in this way to reject it. Nothing else brings home to one that Paul, the, the, the term that Paul uses, the foolishness of preaching. Nothing brings, brings this home is attempting to explain the gospel to an audience of educated Muslims. Now, by default, I would say, educated or not, of the people that we interact with, the Muslim people that we interact with, are just like the ones that he described there. So how does one go about declaring the gospel? How does one go about unfolding the mystery of Christ to people 
who are already so opposed to the message itself. So do you even see from the beginning here that even just the opportunity to share the gospel is a miracle of God that we need your prayers in? So what do these open doors of the mystery of Christ look like in our context and among the Muslim people group? You know, really to unfold the mystery of Christ, this is really, it's a long process. It's not something that can be done very quickly. The Old Testament contains the unfolding of the mystery of Christ, and then the gospel explains it and shows it, and then the epistles explain it more clearly. And it's really a long process to get people to see that through the scriptures. So in our experience, what is the process that we often go through to try to find these open doors? There's really a few different ways, and, and I, I want to share these with you. For one, to help you understand how you can be praying and, and to understand how God goes about opening these doors. Really, the first way that we try to find these open doors, find people who are open, is probably the most difficult. It's just meeting people and beginning to ask them spiritual questions, looking for an opportunity, an open door to be able to share the gospel. Sometimes we often maybe we'll go to a mosque nearby or a restaurant where we know there are Muslims and we begin to have a conversation with them. And this is really awkward because they're not used to this. And here you are, this you know, foreigner that's you know, very strange to them and you're, you know, Chinese is a little weird and you've got this crazy accent and you start talking to them and asking them questions. And, and it's strange and it's awkward. But once we get past that awkwardness and try to get everyone comfortable... Uh, We learn a little bit about them, and we we begin to ask a question, something like this. So as a Muslim, can you ever know that your sins are completely forgiven? Or something like this, say, you know, I I also believe that there is is one God, um, and I am a follower of Jesus. Have you ever heard any stories about the prophet Jesus? Or maybe we ask them something like, can you describe for me, what is a good Muslim? Are you one? Are you a good Muslim? Hoping to find people who are interested. Now, usually, probably nine times out of ten, or maybe, you know, if there could be a higher percentage, I'm not so good at math, oftentimes the response is just a monologue that they give us on Muslim doctrine, or they simply change the subject. So this is one way in which we seek to find open doors. The second way, which is much more um, fruitful, if you will, is to meet felt needs in a relationship. For us, the most opportunities come uh, for declaring the mystery of Christ comes as we develop relationships over the long haul. Developing trust, allowing them to see the fruit of Christ in our lives and in our family, while somehow serving them in a way that they have a felt need in. So what does this look like? And I'm, I'm going to give you a really good example. There's a lot of examples that have gone a little bit more sideways, but this is the best one, uh, one of the best ones. About four years ago, I was introduced to a, a box guy, a Hui guy, from another foreigner who had gotten to know him. Um, and I went and had a meal with him. We, we talked, and uh, I spoke to him in Chinese. He would try a little bit of English out, and he was pretty out of practice, so it was a bit rough. Um, those conversations are always difficult, you know, because you're trying to talk, and it's everyone's second language, and, 
And it's just, you know, it can be awkward. You know, you can just sit there and you're, just, you're kind of sweating. You've got to work through it. And uh, after, you know, by the end, we had a nice time. And, you know, I had asked him several spiritual questions, and he gave me very formulaic, you know, Muslim answers. And uh, I offered to meet up with him again. And I said, hey, let's, let's meet again and give you another chance to practice your English because I know you really want to, I can tell. Um, so about two months later, we met again, and it was, it was more of the same, a little more comfortable this time. You know, we're kind of able to joke around a little bit and laugh. And, um, and I said to him, I, I said, I, I, it seems like you really want to, you know, better your English, and I would be, I'd love to help you with that in some way. And uh, I said, in fact, I know you're a Muslim, and I am a Christian, so we both know that God is the most important thing in the world, right? We know, we know that. And it's, it's really important that we, we know him and we, we study him. I said, how would you like to study, uh, study about God in his book, the Bible? And we can even use that to help us study some English. And I can help you and you can help me. And, and we, could, we could get to know God a little bit more through this. And he said, absolutely, I would love to do that. I've always wanted to learn more about the Bible. I'm very interested in learning more about Christianity. So there we go, an open door. So we began to study uh, the story of creation. We got together the first time, and, and he had brought some book, you know, that we read in high school literature class. And I didn't even understand, in English, and I didn't even understand it, you know, because it's that level of English that I'm not quite at. And, uh, and I said, okay, let's put this aside. Here's a story about uh, Adam and Eve, the very first story in the Bible. So we started reading that story of creation that he's, you know, generally familiar with. And we read about the temptation and the fall, and I would just simply ask questions like this. What does this story teach us about God? And he would say things like, well, he's powerful. He just spoke, and everything was. He wants to relate with people. He has a relationship with Adam and Eve. And for a Muslim person to see this about God is radical. And he says he's merciful. He could have destroyed Adam and Eve, but he didn't. And he has a plan for rescuing mankind. And he says, what is that plan? What is this whole thing about a serpent and, and a, getting crushed and a heel and, and a seed? What's all that about? Sounds like he has a plan. Then I ask, what does this teach us about mankind? What does this teach you about you and about me? He said, well, we're weak. And we think we know better than God. This is similar you know, to how they felt, Adam and Eve felt, is similar to how I feel after I've done something wrong. I want to hide. I don't want to even think about God. I don't want God coming near me. In fact, I'm always afraid of God. The sin seems very, very, very small of taking an apple, but its consequence was huge. All, he, all they did was take an apple. But the consequence of this was, was massive. So from the very beginning, in these conversations with Timothy, we're seeing through the story of the scripture these massive points of Christian worldview that are absolutely necessary in understanding the mystery of Christ falling into place, God's holiness. He must punish sin, even a sin that seems very small. All sin at its core is challenging God's authority. We try our best to hide our sin, but it doesn't work. We can't do it. We need God himself to come and to make a sacrifice and to cover our sin for us. And we see God making a a promise that he's going to rescue people all the way at the very first story. So we get to the end, and he says, wow, that was really good. I learned so much. Is there more? I said, well, 
Glad you asked. So we had 10 stories that we went through like that that kind of have an emphasis on sin, God's mercy and promise to one day sin to rescuer, and atonement like the story of the Passover, a very clear explanation of the atonement. So all of these were building in these themes of, of you know, gospel foundation. And then the last two stories are the story of an overview of Jesus. So he began to study the gospel. At the end of that, he said, wow, this has been amazing. I'd like to learn a little bit more about Jesus. He sounds just, you know, unbelievable. I said, well, we do have options for studying about Jesus. So why don't we study uh, the, what's recorded about him in the Gospel of Matthew. So we started studying in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, I think about last December. And in doing so, we, I think in March, we, we were studying once a week on his lunch break. We'd go to, a, of all places, in the middle of Beijing, a Starbucks. We'd sit there, and uh, we're studying, studying through the Bible. And he said, you know, there's 28 chapters in Matthew. We're at like six. This is going really slow. And he said, what can we do about that? And I, he's like, I'm reading ahead even. And I said, well, um, if you want to, we can meet more often. He said, okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's meet more often. So from March until uh, right when I left in June, we were meeting twice a week going through the book of Matthew. And he, he has a lot to learn, and this is a long process, but he is seen in this a hope that in spite of what he has always taught, been taught, and what he has always believed, he has seen that sins can be forgiven. God is merciful, and God has a plan through Jesus to forgive sins. So why did we, why did we find Timothy? Why did I find this, this young man? Clearly, it's a work of God. Answering this very prayer, that God would supply open doors for the gospel to go forward. So is God at work creating this dissatisfaction and this curiosity? And then through your prayers, through the prayers of God's people, even here on the other side of the world, he's in our world. Timothy's in our world. Now this has happened with him, and there are many, many others like this who are on a similar path of Timothy, maybe at the very beginning, maybe somewhere in the middle, some, some there's, there's actually a handful of people who are, who are very near to where Timothy is and their understanding of the gospel. As we've prayed and as you've prayed for opportunities, God has, has answered. Let me just bullet real quick a couple of other ways. For the last two years, we hosted a uh, short-term missionaries, young people. Sophie came over for about eight weeks and was a part of that team for a short amount of time. And over the last two, or two years, that group of people has studied the Bible with about 20 to 30 uh, college students. Now, some of them, they study, they learn, and they're like, yeah, this isn't for me, I'm out. Others have progressed to the point to be very, very interested in understanding more of the gospel. In our family alone, we've, uh, for the last two years, we studied the Bible with four very interested Hui students. Christy has been studying with another teammate with two uh, or three Uyghur girls. Oftentimes, God answers beyond what we expect. Our teammate teaching at the university, as an English teacher, she went two years ago, uh, or a year ago, in, in the fall, getting ready to teach in the, in the, the office, this, the school office, gave her this list. They said, okay, you can teach any of these classes here on this list. Which classes would you like to choose? Just tell us. She's reading through them, and one of the, one of the classes is the Bible as Literature. She's like, uh, I'll teach that one. 
So here she is for the last two semesters in this university with many, many Hui and Uyghur students in her class. She's teaching through the story of redemption in the Bible. And what's really awesome about that, some of these students have come, not knowing that there's any kind of a relationship, have come to our short-term uh, team members and they've said, hey, I've got this teacher who's teaching about the Bible and it's, it's really interesting. And I, I, there's a lot I don't understand, but I want to understand more. Can you teach me more about the Bible? Because you're a Christian, right? So we're seeing God answer in all these you know, really, really unique ways. Um, God has opened the doors and you saw a little bit of it in this video of allowing the Han Majority Church to partner with us in evangelism. In the last year, two churches, two separate churches, pretty strong, healthy churches in the city, um, we had team members attending them, and both uh, came to us. They had very little knowledge of sharing the gospel with Hui and Uyghur people, and they came to us, and they said, hey, we would like to do more of this. Can you help us? Can we work together somehow in doing missions? So in the, in the wintertime, they said, we'd, we'd like to even go on a missions trip and learn how to do this more effectively. Can you help us and train us? So we trained uh, two different churches to go out and to do basic ministry. On June 17th, just about a month ago, I led a training session with the second church who was about to go to a very difficult uh, province in the west of China that was very, very uh, high percentage of Muslim people. And I gave them some basic stool- tools to you know, kind of start a conversation it's kind of funny, I'm a foreigner doing this, you know, but, but that's kind of where they're at. They need encouragement, and they need uh, people giving them ideas. So I gave them some ideas and gave them some basic, you know, nuts and bolts, and then two ladies went out and began to find Uyghur people and start asking them spiritual questions. And we were going to come back and have a debrief and all of that, and, and they came back, and we, we sat around the table, and, and I was just, you know, I kind of had my fingers crossed because... This is the first time any of them have ever interacted with a Muslim person, even though they live around them. First time they'd ever interacted with them. And I thought, man, they, they really need to have a positive experience, otherwise this is going to be, you know, they're never going to do it again. Well, these two, two ladies said they, they went up to this girl, and this girl was, um, they asked her some questions, and the girl just started spouting off all these things about the Bible being changed, and, you know, Jesus is not God, that's blasphemy, and you know, they kind of gathered up their stuff and just stomped off. I was like, oh, man, what a terrible first experience. And I said, well, how do you guys feel about that? They said, we loved it. It was awesome. We can't wait to go back out there and do it again. So God is moving to open doors, not just with us, but also with, with local partners. You know, but at the same time, I just want to mention a few points that you can pray about with us in this. There are a lot of challenges if you can imagine, as I've described these scenarios, these opportunities take a long time. Just the process of finding people who are willing to hear the gospel takes a lot of time. In some ways, years to be at the point with a guy like Timothy. The process of evangelism also takes a long time. This isn't like a 10-minute presentation, and we're done. It's unfolding the truth of Scripture so that the Word itself brings down their objections and informs them of truth. The reality is we, we live a life there that takes a lot of time. We have to have a job. We study. We are schooling our kids. And I think probably it's about 10 to 25% of our time is actually used in this kind of evangelism work. 
So we need more laborers. We need more people to come and, uh, and work with us. The effectiveness of our one-year team, our short-term team, was extremely profound. They gave us all kinds of work to follow up with in the fall when we go back, but they're not going to be there. So it's going to be a little bit of a crazy, awesome mess uh, but we need more people. We need to pray that God supplies the people to fill these key roles. As we partner with local church, we need to pray for them to have opportunities to share the gospel. For them, this is surprisingly, it's much more challenging than it is for us. We are used to cross-cultural life. We are, we are a melting pot, and it's just part of our culture to be interacting with other cultures. For the Han Chinese, it is not the case. There's a lot of ethnic tension, a lot of hostility, a lot of mistrust between Hui and Uyghur. If you get one of them alone and you start talking to them, what do you think about Han people, the, the Uyghur people? And they just, they, they hate them. They just really hate them. So for them to actually uh, cross over and to do this ministry is very, very difficult for them. So pray that when we come back in two years, that there will be an ongoing, vibrant Han gospel witness to the Hui and the Yu people. These two churches that we partnered with are kind of just at the beginning. Pray for opportunities for those two groups of people to be uh, radically involved in evangelism. So I know we don't have much time. Let me just briefly get to the last point. Paul prays for opportunities. And then last of all, he prays that he would have clarity in proclaiming the gospel message. So it's kind of interesting. Here, Paul, we see him as like, he is the master communicator, and he is asking that the people pray for him, that he would have clarity in communicating and speaking the message. So I read this, and I said, man, if Paul needs help, wow, I need a lot of help. I need your help. We need your help. Now, he's, he's saying he, he has an obligation to be proclaiming the gospel. Here he is in jail. And I think what he's saying in this is there are many, uh, many things that could drive Paul away from his obligation to preach the gospel and gospel ministry. In fact, one commentator said this. He said he is asking that he be not discouraged in his work, nor driven from it by his sufferings. So this is what I want to think about as internal, uh, internal obstacles or internal struggles, if you will. There's a lot of them that we face in the work of gospel ministry that we need you to pray for us so that we have the vigor and the joy in Christ and the energy in Christ, not in our circumstances, to be able to speak the message clearly as we ought to, ought to speak. And let me just share a few of those with you. First of all, work with Muslims, as you've seen, can be very slow. There's not a lot of fruit that we see in terms of people coming to faith. I talked to a guy last night whose their church goes on mission trips to Moldova. It's like, yeah, last summer we saw like 30 kids come to faith during the one week that we were there. Summer before that, you know, all kinds of, and that's awesome. That is awesome, but that is just not the reality in the field that we're in. It's a much slower process. You know, sometimes it's very easy to look out at the window and to look on a city, a concrete jungle, to be among all those people there, very slow, unfruitful, seeming work, and just ask the question, is this really worth it? Is this worth the cost? You know, living itself can be very difficult and draining. Just the amount of physical energy, the amount of emotional energy that is just spent 
doing daily tasks is exponentially more than it is here. Since I've been back for about a month, there's this whole portion. I'm not sure what portion, maybe this portion. I, there's a whole portion of my soul that is just sleeping. It's just resting because I'm, I'm not confronted with so many stressful things here as I am there. On June 15th, I, I had an annual physical, and uh, Christy was already in America, so I was texting her, and uh, I chose, it was in the morning, so I went by Subway, and I, I just texted her this once I arrived, I, thanks to my you know, watch that tells me things. said, 3,600 steps, 2.69K, 22 floors, five Subway lines, and an hour and a half later, I arrived fresh and ready for my annual checkup. <laughs> just living is exhausting. And, you know, there's no way when I get home from that that I'm ready to sit down and declare the mystery of Christ, both physically and emotionally. We just don't have the capacity in a high-level way like we would if we were here. There's a lot of loss and discouragement. The last two years for us, uh, last April I saw my father pass away, which from a distance is, is very difficult, sitting on Skype with my family as he's uh, slipping away, um, received myself a very unsettling health report that still remains un- unclear. Christy faced chronic jaw pain to the point that sometimes she could hardly talk. I know as uh, you know, some of you other homeschool moms, that's, uh, you need to talk. You know, actually, you need to yell when you're homeschooling, right? Is that, uh, but it's very difficult for her. Um, we had teammates that suddenly were removed for the field after the discovery of one of them that we had very close friends had been really living a double life. And that domino effect was the loss of really Christie's best friend on the field. I was counting on the way up. Over the last uh, six years, we've had 12, 12 long-term teammates leave our team and nine short-term teammates come and go. And when you're, when you're over there in a place like that where there's a lot of unfamiliarity and you need fellowship deeply, you go deep with people really quick. And to have 12 people come and go in six years, it's you know, an average of two a year, it, it begins to be, to be very, very taxing. A few weeks ago, we were, um, we were at our organization and... Uh, in Orlando, and the speaker was asking the room full of missionaries, there's about 20 or 30 missionaries there, and he asked the simple question, what do you feel you have lost by going overseas? And just immediately people start you know, shouting things out, relationships, financial security, family, normalcy, spiritual input, fellowship, convenience, competency, confidence, opportunities, resources for our children, safe infrastructure, medical care, justice, breathable air, for us in our city that we're in. These are things that you don't sign up for, but they're just part of the deal. And you don't realize it until you're in the middle of it. And sometimes these losses, they don't necessarily get easier, but in fact, they actually compound over the years. And the emotional toll that can, that can bring and the sense of loss can lead to discouragement. And there's not a few missionaries that struggle a lot with depression. We are not a, a group of super-Christians by any means. All of these things have an effect on our soul. So what happens when that sets in? What happens when there's that sense of loss and discouragement? We're not feeling this vigor and this freshness to go out and declare the gospel, are we? It's actually really hard to do. So we need your 
prayers. We know that we shouldn't be focused on the things that we see. We know that. But these are very real losses, so we need your prayers to help us pray through these kinds of discouragement and pray that in the midst of loss, in the midst of all of these discouragements that are there, we would have an even greater hope in the gospel and in the reality that we can only see by faith so that we can clearly present the gospel as we ought to. So this is, you know, this is God's work, and I want to end just on a note of hope in the gospel. We are confident, and I know you are confident, that, that God has purchased through Christ a bride, his church. There are people from every tribe and nation and tongue, and he is going to gather them to himself in, through the preaching of the gospel. And one day, every knee uh, around that throne of the Lamb in Romans 7, people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be worshiping him together. So I just want to ask you uh, today, just for a renewed commitment to boldly appeal to you in Christ, to pray for more open doors, and to pray for us, and to pray for others who are working with us, that we would have the strength in Christ, in spite of all the circumstances that we see with our eyes, to declare uh, with clarity the mystery of Christ. Thank you.